I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. Just a quick note before we start. This episode was written, recorded, and produced last week and set to be distributed today, just as we heard news about the passing of Migos rapper Takeoff. We want to send our heartfelt condolences to the fans, friends, and family of Takeoff and the hip-hop community at large. And as difficult as this news is to hear, it really plays into the theme of this episode. So for all parents and teachers especially listening, I hope there's value in what we're about to present. Thanks for listening. The thing about hip-hop uh, today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Hey everyone, it's your man Mandy Faces, creator, producer, and host of Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's most important hip hop podcast. Now I'm thinking for 2023, we're gonna flip the format a little bit. Still planning to deliver the same inspiring conversations with innovators from all sorts of fields and disciplines, thought leaders and practitioners who are using hip-hop in ways that are uplifting humanity and helping improve society. But I also have a free newsletter called Words I Manifest. <laughs> Get it? That includes interesting news tidbits, upcoming noteworthy events like seminars and workshops and festivals, as well as some Manny Faces editorials, all kinds of really smart, innovative, hip-hoppy things that I'd also like to incorporate into the podcast feed. Now, ideally, you're checking out both the podcast and the newsletter, but just in case you're more into the podcast side of things, I just want to make sure we have you covered there as well. So I think this will start in earnest in the beginning of the year, but to set the stage, I thought I'd drop the latest Manny Faces editorial from the newsletter here. Now, you can check out the latest and past editions of the Words I Manifest newsletter that it comes from for free at mannyfaces.substack.com. And as always, if you feel motivated to help support our fully independent hip-hop advocacy journalism, Join our good friends Brianna, Nicholas S., Jimmy Lucero, Toast, Jesse G., Mark E., Silent Knight, and Eric C. at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Alright, so here it is. This is Parents Just Don't Understand. How hip-hop can help strengthen our relationships with our children. Okay, show of e-hands. How many of you have children under the age of, say, 21? Okay, okay. Keep your e-hands up. How many have a position of some authority uh, or interact with young children or teenagers? Huh. 
Okay, great. You can put your e-hands down. So I often discuss pop culture happenings with my assortment of children, uh, hashtag baby girl faces, and the grown ones. Uh, me with my cursory but not totally ignorant knowledge of everyday goings-on, and they with their good upbringing that allows them to speak intelligently about such things personas. Now, my oldest son and I recently got to talking about the BET Music Awards kerfuffle, in which Lotto won Song of the Year for Big Energy, considered by some to be an upset win over Kodak Black's Super Gremlin. Now, I recognize that for some of y'all, that sentence doesn't make a lot of sense, so if that's you, just stay with me for a sec. Now, some quick context. I know who Lotto is. I have a cursory knowledge of her music. I'm mainly neutral in my opinion. Second, I know who Kodak Black is. I've heard a few of his songs. I don't care much for his particular style of rapping. I also think he's proven to be somewhat problematic as a human being. I am being very polite and diplomatic when I say these things. And third, I don't really care too much about these award shows, but I do pay enough attention to maintain a general understanding of the mainstream music landscape. Now, none of this, nor how you feel about any of these people or their music, matters. What happened next does. I was trying to understand why my son also felt that Kodak Black should have won. In his opinion, despite Big Energy's very impressive run on the Billboard Top 10 charts, Super Gremlin was extremely popular, a song you'd hear bumping from cars, on the radio, as well as in the club. In his view, Lotto's win was merely the result of the music industry, and rap in particular, once again giving higher priority to the sex sells aesthetic, rather than the more thuggish, ruggish Kodak. It's a good point, I countered. Still, I posited, the factors like the aforementioned billboard run, the song's big club energy, plus the appeal to larger demographics, women, simply made big energy a bigger phenomenon. My argument was somewhat based on being an older, jaded rap fan that witnessed perennial disappointment over award shows. Macklemore over Kendrick, or dare I bring it up, Taylor over Beyonce. I'm let you finish. I kind of considered both of these songs rather vapid and uninteresting to someone who usually but not always leans toward being more highbrow, lyrical, miracle, spiritual, old school purist rap fan. So to me, they were just opposite sides of the same, you know, that's cool and all, but not for me, coin. Now, hashtag oldest kid faces doubled down on the over-sexualization aspect of the song, seemingly trying to come from a place of higher morality. Now, I suspect he'd be less concerned over a man rapping content of an over-sexualized nature, so stopping just short of calling his opinion potentially misogynistic, I countered with the often cited, well, men have been over-sexualizing forever and women want to be able to do it too and that makes them feel empowered, argument. So those points pretty much canceled each other out. This hearty debate was at an impasse. Then he launched an unexpected attack. He says, it's messed up, man, because Kodak's song was about something. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And I'm playing back snippets of lyrics I could remember in my head. Something, something, jacking cars. Yeah, like what exactly? He explained to me that the song is about a friend that Kodak Black felt betrayed by. How Kodak had been hurt by this betrayal. How their childhood friendship had deteriorated when something came between them and his former homie switched, as some of the lyrics demonstrate. And part of the chorus. Okay, so it's aggressive, sure. 
and certainly not the poetic masterpiece we might hear from Nas or Kendrick, but it doesn't matter. The important part was that I never would have known that this song contained this kind of personal conflict if I hadn't engaged my son in this discussion. Inspired, I saw this as an opening. Speaking of which, I said, whatever happened with you and your friend X? Exactly what was said next is private, but also not important. What is important is how I tapped into my son's passion for today's music to A, better understand it, and B, better understand my son. See, I often speak about the intersections of hip hop and education. There are hundreds of examples I could give, stories I could tell, results I could share from so many folks doing amazing things to help improve the educational output of our young people through a connection to hip hop music and culture. Now, many of those programs are based on a principle that the music is essentially a conduit. It doesn't mean that classes are spent rapping and dancing, although sometimes they are. But more so, the music and its associated culture are touch points where each party can meet. When teachers or parents take the time to better understand those touch points, even if we despise what they look like on the surface, we have a lane that we can use to engage our young people. Now, I really came to understand this when I interviewed Dr. Lauren Kelly on this podcast, Hip Hop Can Save America. Dr. Kelly teaches at Rutgers University and runs the Hip Hop Youth Research and Activism Initiative, a brilliant program that I'm honored to be involved with. It encourages high school and young college students to look at hip hop through a more sociological and research-driven lens. Dr. Kelly described a time when she was interviewing some young folks about their connection to the music they loved. One of the songs at the time was Birthday Song by 2 Chainz, perhaps best known for its chorus. Again, not exactly Andre 3000 level literature, but let's not lose focus. After listening to the song and playing the accompanying video, which has the exact imagery that one might imagine, including well-proportioned women in various states of undress cavorting around a raucous birthday party, here's what she told me. You sort of had a circuitous route to doing the thing that I wanted to do, so I came into it really wanting to unpack um, structural inequity, right, and talking about race and class and gender and power and sexuality through the lens of hip-hop tech. Um, and it really started out with everyone sharing their favorite songs, talking about how they connected to hip hop, critiquing and challenging each other. And then sort of by the end of class, we came back to that through a very sort of roundabout way. Uh, we ultimately were critiquing things like race and class and gender and power, um, but it wasn't in the way that I intended. It wasn't through the text that I brought in, the curriculum I wrote, I scrapped most of it. Um, and it really <laughs> became the students bringing in the songs that they gravitated towards. And then us asking each other questions to get to sort of the root of what we were gravitating towards. So ultimately, we did the things that I was hoping we'd do, and it was really me learning from the students throughout. And I particularly remember, uh, do you remember 2 Chainz's birthday song? Yeah, I'm going to play it on my birthday this week. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that really became like our, our primary text in this class, surprisingly. I thought it was going to be just kind of that won't stop. Right, um, right. Text is text, though. <laughs> They were like, this is mad reading. <laughs> so in the end, what I found is that, like I said, it wasn't through the mechanisms I thought it would. Um, and I remember one of the students said, we have to watch you know, this video. And I didn't realize I'd heard the song before. I was like, I never heard mm. this birthday song. Sure, let's play it. And then once it started, I was like, oh, this song. What we're, okay. Um, right. And we ended up returning to this song. We watched the video on mute. Um, we listen to the song multiple times. There are times we can only get through certain chunks of it because we just have these conversations. And something that was really, really important for me um, as an educator is there was a moment where we watched the song and, um, and I just asked them, I was like, all right, I know I'm a little bit uncomfortable about the song and the chorus. And especially when you watch the video, it is so, it's a lot of women's bodies um, and like faceless. Like a lot of times you don't see their head, you don't see their face. There's a cake that's in the shape of a woman's body. 
And so of course I was very judgmental and I was like, why do you like this? And they're like, well, we, you know, we relate to it. And I said, what exactly are you relating to? Like, does right. it reflect your life? Is this what your lives look like? Right. Um, and they're like, no, 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 but it's what I want to have. So again, so I just sort of kept posing questions and I was like, what exactly, like, do you want your birthday to look like this? Or this is what you aspire to? And they're like, right. no, we don't really want this, this, but we want the power to have this if this is what we wanted. And so, so through these questions, I'm understanding that what I think they're honoring and validating and gravitating towards, like the misogyny, the objectification that I think that they are loving is not, it's the power. And so all that power seems to be manifesting as things like misogyny, objectification, it's really about young people needing that in their lives. So that to me was sort of like the turning point in the class. So basically, as she explains, we tend to think our young people want to live in a lawless, misogynistic, violent material world. We think they gravitate towards this imagery and want to clone it into their lives. But they don't. They just feel powerless. And that desire for power, for control, for freedom, for justice, perhaps, manifests in these ways. That makes sense. We all acted out in our own ways as kids. I'm sure we can all find examples from our past that, on the surface, in that moment, made it seem like we had no guidance, <laughs> no morals, no home training, like we were chasing the wrong things, the wrong people. Was that our goal? Was that our aspiration? Did we all end up as heathens, as criminal-minded drains on society? No, we were searching for ourselves. And while the stakes are higher in some cases, or the disconnect chasm even larger these days, the principle remains the same. Like Naomi Aldort says, children do not need us to shape them. They need us to respond to who they are. Now, us older hip-hop fans like to lament that how, back in the day, folks would rap about selling drugs. Now they just rap about taking drugs. As if the former was somehow better? But at the core of both of these eras' lyrical output are the same thing. Young people enveloped in a world where illegal commerce, violence, or self-medication are all perceived as necessary tools to survive. So while I can't relate to some of today's music, if I recognize my kid is connecting in some way to a song filled with depressing undertones or talk of self-medication, I'm not going to jump on social media talking about, well, this is not real hip-hop. I'm going to take my kid to therapy, or at the very least find out how to talk to them in a way that meets them where they are. Music's always been one of those ways, and no genre presents as much opportunity to learn more about our young people than hip-hop. And this knowledge goes both ways. I recently spoke at The Science of Hip-Hop, exploring STEM and computer science through beats and lyrics, an event held at Texas State University which led high school students through a gauntlet of exhibitions which use hip-hop references to help do things like demonstrate the scientific method explore technology's role in society, cultivate an engineering mindset, help establish or reestablish a math identity for students, and much more. Shouts to previous guest on this podcast, Dr. Raphael Travis, by the way, for putting that event together. I also gave a talk during this year's Chattanooga Hip Hop Week and Summit, echoing many of the sentiments I'm sharing here. What I found particularly impressive about that event was the focus on teaching young aspiring artists about the ins and outs of the business side of entertainment. Free panels were open to the community, led by industry powerhouses, all aimed at arming folks with the tools to better navigate the financial and legal aspects of making music. It's these kind of initiatives that help young people more than they realize. After all, any aspiring artist that attends these sessions that doesn't go on to become a successful artist, you know, because most won't, but they still receive transferable skills and life lessons along the way regarding finance, business, marketing, and more. I don't know if those same folks would have attended a free but more traditional finance, business, and marketing seminar, but I sure know they were at this one. 
And then I think back to interactions with my dad. A distinguished professor of sociology, Pops was a die-hard jazz and blues connoisseur. He didn't have much love for 80s rap, but here I was, pursuing my own desires to be a hip-hop producer and MC. While he gave firm but fair advice, if you can't make more doing what you like than what you can earn at McDonald's, you need to be working a real job. Okay. He never fully discouraged me. In fact, we would have healthy debates of our own, arguing about the musicality of rap. I would gift him Guru's Jazzmatazz albums and send news articles like the ones I post at the beginning of the Words I Manifest newsletter. And one day we found our own middle ground as he came to see me and a friend perform in a park in New York City. At the time I had a song that was built off of a Sam Cooke loop that he found to be quite clever, both production and lyrics. I can still remember reciting it a cappella as he was driving me somewhere, so proud that I could make him, the brilliant academic wordsmith, smile wide with words that I created. So many of our conversations branched off from those discussions into his sociological purview. These are core memories that continue to fuel and inspire my own work studying, documenting, and advocating for hip-hop and the brilliant people associated with it. And it's what inspired conversations like the one with my son that started this whole essay. And on that note, I'll bring it full circle. Lotto made news again recently when, during her opening set at a Lizzo concert in Atlanta, she brought Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams out onto the stage. I got the big microphone! <laughs> But I, I'm not going to interrupt for fun. I just want to remind you, if you believe I can't think of a better icebreaker that would help spark a discussion with young folks about the upcoming midterm elections or politics in general. Discussions that need to be happening. Now, I'm no child psychologist, but I've been a parent for decades, and I've interviewed a plethora of folks who work with young people through hip-hop-influenced approaches. And what I've learned is that we don't have to fully immerse ourselves in their world, but we shouldn't dismiss that world either. We just have to care enough to try and meet them where they are. We should pay just enough attention to current hip-hop and entertainment headlines to look for nuggets of information, those openings that could lead to dialogue. As parents, we don't have to always agree. We just need to try and understand. You know, parents are the same no matter time, no place. They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Hey, thanks for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip-hop podcast. I'm Manny Faces. This show is a Manny Faces media production in association with the Center for Hip-Hop Advocacy. Let us know your thoughts. Email us at hiphopcansaveamerica at gmail.com. Remember, you can check out the latest and past editions of the free Words I Manifest newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. And once again, extra special thanks to our associate producer, Summer, as well as supporters of the podcast, Brianna, Nicholas S., Jimmy Lucero, Toast, Jesse G., Mark E., my man Silent Knight, and Eric C. Become a friend of the show helping support all this good independent hip-hop advocacy journalism at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Till next time, peace and love. This is a Many Faces Media production. Many Faces! You sick for this one.
Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip-Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.